Friends, for those of you who have heard my first sermon, you know that my father and I have a special relationship. And uh, I do want to think of those of you who, who don't have wonderful relationships with your fathers. Um, my heart does go out to you, and I want to remind you of the father you have in heaven who loves you more than anyone else can. But when I was growing up, I, moved, I, w- I was growing up in southwest Florida, and I was running through the woods in southwest Florida, which if you've ever been there, if you've seen it, it looks more like a jungle, right? There's uh, palm, palmetto bushes everywhere. It's a swamp. There's snakes. There's gators. <laughs> it's just not a place you run around in all that much. And I always had these visions of northern forests, right? The last of the Mohicans. Uncas running through the woods, jumping over logs. You, just, you don't do that in Florida woods. <laughs> um, and, I, and my dad is from western Pennsylvania. He grew up there. And guys, I'm crazy about my dad. We have a wonderful relationship. He is he's my best friend. And when I was a kid, he would tell me his stories of when he was a kid. About how he would go through the woods. How he would blaze trails with his younger brother, John. And I, I just ate it up. So um, one day, on a family vacation where we actually went to this family farm that he grew up on, uh, he said, hey guys, let's go on a hike to the rocks. And oh my word, the, we had blasts just playing, but when my dad took me and my brothers on a hike, those were the best of times. And this was a long hike. We weren't expecting how long it was. And halfway through the hike, my dad was looking out and he was like, guys, you know what? The path winds all the way up around here. Let's cut through the woods. If you know anything about the woods, you never leave the path to cut through the woods. It's never a shortcut. It's just never a shortcut, right? So we start cutting through the woods. And I was surprised to find out that northern forests are very much like Floridian forests. There's thorns. There's briars. There's undergrowth. It's just, you're not running through them like Uncas, you know, or Hawkeye jumping over a log, chasing down the thing. Like, that's just not, that's just, it's, it's, it's a challenge. And about halfway through that challenge, my dad, we sat down for water, and uh, he was like, guys, I'm sorry, this was a mistake. And I'm, I have to, I'm a weird guy, and when I was a kid, I was, a kid, I was even weirder. And in my little mind, I must have been eight years old, so it wasn't that little. But in my mind, I thought, you know, dad, you're the coolest guy I know. And I told him, I said, Dad, I would follow, this is the weird part of me, I said, I would follow you into the cougar's den. And I, I just, I feel like my dad must have, like, kind of cringed, you know, like, ugh, the cougar's den. Sam, you're weird. And, and he would have been right. He'd been like, that's just a weird thing to say to your dad. But I looked at my dad as the greatest leader on the world. He was the leader that was going to lead me anywhere, and I would follow him. I just wonder... How many of you guys think of, what do you guys think of when you think of a leader? When you think of the, the person you would follow into the den of the cougar, right? Uh, I was like trying to picture some faces, and one of them that came up for me was, besides my dad, was uh, George Washington uh, in that painting where he's crossing the, the Delaware River, and the men are moving ice blocks out of his way, and he's his face is resolute. He's looking towards the danger, I think. And, you know, he's just moving in, and he's not afraid. And the men around him, they're like, that's a captain. 
that's a man I can follow, you know. Um, not long ago, Greg showed a picture of Harriet Tubman. And looking at her and, and, and her strong features, she, she seemed fearless. And I was, as I was looking, I was like, that's a woman I can follow. That's a leader I can follow. I love the, the picture of Martin Luther King or the monument to Martin Luther King in D.C., where he's kind of standing there with his, arm, with his arms crossed over his chest. He's got very strong features. He's chiseled out of stone, right? And on the side of the stone, it says something to the effect of, out of, a mount, out of the mountain of despair comes the, st- the rock of hope, right? You look, at these, you look at these faces, and you think, those are people I could follow. That's a leader. That's a... That's a captain of men. Right? It's fascinating that it's not just what they stood for or what they, what, how they looked when they were standing, but it's also what they stood for. Standing against oppression. Standing for the weak. Standing against taxation without representation. That one doesn't click with me as much. But... It's still, it's still these noble stances for those in need of a leader. Friends, in the same way, in the same way um, the Jews, they were an oppressed people. And we don't write lists of oppression. But if we were, the Jews would be pretty high on, on the list of most oppressed. They're born into slavery, most of them, in Egypt. They're called out of slavery but not much longer after they escape and, or, or after God leads them out, they are swamped by the enemies in, in Israel or in the, the promised land, right? And then the, Babylon, the Assyrians come and they take a number more into exile and the Babylonians come and take a number more into exile and then the Persians beat the Babylonians and the Greeks beat the Persians. I'm telling you, this is a nation, a people that are passed around from kingdom to kingdom, longing for their own, longing for peace, longing for a leader who will defeat the enemy. In the time of Jesus, it's the Romans. The Romans have come and they said, we are your leaders. And guys, the Greeks and the Romans, they were terrible. Terrible to the Jewish people. The Jews knew oppression. They were looking for their leader. They were looking for their leader who would come and save them. Who would come and beat off the enemy that would bring in the new dawn of their kingdom where peace would flourish. I wonder what they felt was the picture of him. I wonder what he would have looked like standing against oppression. Well, the Savior that they get is not quite the Savior they were looking for. The king that we get, so, he looks so different than the heroes of our mind. And this, this, is, this is challenging for us. But I want us to look here as 
our picture of Jesus kind of breaks down from not the George Washington, not the Martin Luther King Jr., not the heroes, but as we see him for who he is, I pray that our hearts will be warmed with love for him, for the reality of what this king looks like. So would you pray with me, and then we'll read this text. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to who you are. Give us peace, and help us to follow you. In your name I pray, amen. On page 1631 of your pew Bibles, this is from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. Would you read with me? After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked, uh, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And he approached Jerusalem and saw the city. He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had no, only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes, and the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an, embank an embankment against you, and encircle you, and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming. What do we see here? What is the actual king? What is the true hero that Israel needs? The true hero that the Jewish people need? Well, I'll um, say it up front. We see three things. That's convenient, huh? <laughs> we, see, we see There's always three things. We see three things in this text. Three things that show us what the true king is. Um, the first will be, he's the king of creation. The second, he's the king that's humble, the humble king. And the final is he's the weeping king. And as we go through this, I hope you see a better picture of who the king you need is and his love for you. So, in verses 28 through 34, what do we see? What do we see? 
look with me again. We'll just read it quickly, starting with verse 29. And as he approaches these two cities, Bethphage and Bethany, at the the hill of the Mount of Olives, he sends his two disciples, two of them, and he says, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, tell him, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, his owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? What a perfect question. All right, so, as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, there's something that he needs. And it's this, it's this colt, right? It's this colt. Now, he hasn't made prearrangements for it. He hasn't done anything to make sure that the colt is there. He's just the king, so he knows. Right? And he sends his two, two disciples. And in the Greek, there's this strange um, use of the word kurios, or Lord. Right? Jesus says, hey, you guys, go get that colt and untie it and bring it here. And if anyone questions you, say, the Lord has need of it. And then here, you'll notice in, um, in verse 33, as they were untying the colt, its owners asked. That's the same word for curios. Hoist curios is the term, or hoist curios. The lords, the owners. These owners are saying, hey, what are you doing? That's not our colt. What are you doing? Why are you taking the colt, right? And notice the disciples' response. It's too simple. It's too simple. The Lord has need of it. And then it's okay. Then it's all okay, Right? The owners are like, yeah, you take it. I just want you to think, if the president, sh- if, if someone from the um, White House showed up and said, hey, the president needs your car. I mean, the first thought would be, no, he doesn't. <laughs> right? And, and, then, and then the second, who are you to tell me? Who are you? Right? This is so simple that it seems like it's, it, it must be prearranged or else it's some kind of, it's come some kind of, you know, Jedi mind trick or something. You know, like, what's, what is going on here? And it's all about the Lord. It is all about the Lord. I'm talking to a people group that long, that long for him to come. And these two disciples of Jesus come, and they say, hey, the Lord has need of your cult. The Lord does. We know you're the owners, but the Lord needs it. And in fact, in the Greek, it's the Lord of it has need, which is strange. So you could translate this either the king of the colt is calling for it, or the king is calling for the colt. Either way, you could go. And either way, it's the truth. It's the king who makes the request, and the people follow him. Now, why would they follow him? Well, they've heard of him. They know who he is. They know him as the one who heals the sick. The one who heals the lame, who gives sight to the blind. Right? But not just that. Not just is he dealing with people, but he also is the one that can curse a fig tree and it withers. He's the one that when the, sink is, the, the, the ship is about to sink on the storm, he can sit in, on the sea... He can say, peace, be still, and the storm silences. There is no question. There is no question that this king is the Lord of creation. 
He's the king of it all. And when he shows up and says, hey, I need your colt, the people are more than happy, more than happy to give it to him. He's the king. I don't know if you guys have ever stood on the shore when a, when a wave is crashing in front of you. Um, have you ever like gone right down to the, to the crest where the wave curls? I did that in, in Florida, and it's, on the Gulf Coast, it's really easy. But on the, on the West Coast, or on the um, East Coast of Florida, and on the Atlantic Coast, when the waves crash, it is terrifying. And the waves could be like a foot higher than me, and I'm like, whoa, I can't, I can't, right? This is, this is the picture of the strength of, of nature. It is frightening. One time I was standing and the wave crashed over me. And uh, I was confident that I was going to be brave and I was going to stand in the face of it. it. smashes over me. It felt like it folded me backwards. And then I tumbled to the shore thinking, this is the end. <laughs> I'm going to die. Right? That's the kind of power that just a six-foot wave has. You guys witnessed the destruction that the hurricane brought to Florida, to Houston. You guys have felt the fear of tornado watches. Creation is powerful. Creation is crazy. It is terrifying. You know, just think of a lion, right? From the distance, a lion is a cool thing to look at. But if there's no fence between you and the lion, you are terrified. And in the same way, after every natural... Um, miracle that Jesus did, whether it was calming the storms, whether it was catching a ridiculous amount of, sh- of fish, every time his disciples were like, you're terrifying, get away from me. We're not worthy to be in your presence. This is the king of creation, friends. The king of creations, creation is coming, and the people know it. They know it, and they're, they're pumped. He's the talk of every town. When the Lord asks for the colt, they say, hey, if it's the Lord, that colt, that colt is all his. Take it. Right? He's the king of creation. He's so much more terrifying, so much more powerful than we can imagine. And he's going to be the one riding in. And the strangest thing is he's riding in on a colt. <laughs> right? You guys have, or colt of a donkey. That's the, that's the term. He's a, riding in on a donkey. Guys, he's not just the, the king of creation. He's also the most humble king you will ever see in your life. Have you ever seen, I looked up like pictures of men riding donkeys. It's awkward. You know? People's, people's feet are dragging on the ground. They like have to hike up their knees just a little bit. It's just, it's just a bizarre thing to see. It's a bizarre thing. They're, they're weak and they're small. Right? And when a king comes in, when the king of creation comes, what you want to see is like, um, oh, Prince Ali from Aladdin, right? He's on, he's on his elephant, and the genie's out in front of him, and he's screaming, here comes Ali, you know? And everything is like pomp and circumstance, and it's nuts, you know? Everything is huge. Everything is remarkable. Everything is incredible. This guy is the man. Jasmine should dig him, right? Like, that's, that's, that's what you want your king to be. But Jesus' feet are almost dragging on the ground on this donkey. Right? Who is this? Who is this king? And this is the cult that he wanted. I want to ride a donkey in. Now, there's Old Testament reasons for why. 
because when you rode the donkey, you were a symbol of peace and humility. And Jesus is saying, I'm not the king that's going to be blowing the horns and saying, hey, look my way. Big news, big news, coming. Here I come. No, I'm the king that's going to get low. Not, not like dancing, but like, um, sorry. But he's going to ride lowly in a place of humility. That's the kind of king that's approaching the city. And notice what the men do, the disciples do, as he approaches. They pick him up, and they place him on the colt. I mean, guys, that's just so beautiful. You know, the king, the king is going to ride on this low animal, but, the, but his guys are like, no, goodness, Jesus, you are the king. We're going to put you on that donkey. And guess what? No king rides bareback. No king. So let me take off my cloak and put it on you, on, on, on the saddle, on, on, the, on the back of this donkey. You're going to ride on my clothes into this, and we're going to set you on there. And then as he's riding in, all of his disciples are saying, here he comes. Here he comes. They're put it, taking off their clothes and putting it in front of the king as he rides, rides through. Friends, only the humble king, only the humble king receives that kind of love from his followers. You know, in, in the movie... 300, and I'm not going to recommend it, um, there's a scene, there's a scene where um, Xerxes shows up, and he faces off with the Greek king, and he is in this great big golden chair, and he's looking bad, and he's looking mean, right, and he stands up, and he's 10 foot 8, and he starts walking from his chair down, and as he walks, his, his slave servant's all bend over so that he walks on their backs. Right? And the picture is not one of love. The picture is not one of grace. It's one of sheer power. The kind of power that the Lord of creation has. That kind of power. But it's the kind of power that turns us off. It says, no, I don't want that. I don't want to see you usurp that power, Lord. Jesus is not like Xerxes. He's not the wicked king that makes his followers bend over so he can walk on them. He never does that, and he never does that to you. How did, how did he receive the um, exaltation of, of his disciples? Well, the text tells us. It says... And when they came near to the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud, loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. It's what Jesus had done. It's what he had been doing all along. Healing the sick who are poor. So just before this text, we have, chapters in the chapters between, we have Jesus raising a poor widow's son who's dead. We have Jesus coming to a blind beggar and giving him sight. He's, he's healing the lame. All of the people who are disenfranchised, all of the people on the fringes, all of the people that nobody cares about, those are the ones that Jesus is pouring out his power for. He's the humble king of peace and he uses his, creative, his creation king power to bless those he passes. And so they serve him. Oh, they love him. 
but they're still confused. They still don't know who this king actually is. They think he's going to be the one to save them from oppression. They think he's going to be the one to bring the sword and cut them free. That's what they're hoping for. That's what we're thinking that we, they, they needed. And guys, let me tell you, so often we think so too. Maybe we're not being oppressed by the Romans or the Greeks. Maybe our, and it's hard for me to say this because I know the pain in your lives is real and you're just saying, Lord, give me peace from my pain. Give me peace from my brokenness. I hate the pain. I, um, I shut my thumb in the car door this week. I thought adults didn't do this anymore, right? I, I, I shut my, car, my thumb in the car door and um, I went in and I was trying to be a tough guy. And so I was, I was working out with a couple of friends and I was trying to show that I, yeah, I was fine. And then I got home from the workout and I almost couldn't focus on anything. <laughs> I was just like, why does this hurt so bad? It must be broken. It's not broken. I was like, this, just, this, must, this must be really, really bad. And, and my thumb was fine. It was just, it was a little bit of pain, right? But it almost completely disrupted me from my entire day. And I was in a meeting and I, I was like sitting there visibly in pain. Christian Madsen was my savior in this. And he, and I was like, guys, I'm sorry, I can't focus. I have to go get some ice, right? And that's from me getting my thumb caught in the door. Some of you deal with pain. Some of you know pain. And some of you are saying, Lord, save, up, save me from this pain. And I, I, I do not say this lightly, friends. I do not say this lightly. The king will deal with your pain. But there's something else he must deal with first. Look with me. Um... in verse uh, 39 and following. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Don't let them cry out. And he told them, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring peace. Jesus gives all of these people who are praising him and are excited about him. He also rebukes the Pharisees, as you saw. But all these people who are praising him and are excited about him, he just starts wailing. Have you ever seen a grown man wail? It is the most uncomfortable thing. And it's, it's kind of like, and, oh, sorry. Um, it's kind of like uh, when you, um, well, let's look at this from the disciples' perspective for a second, right? Pomp, they're, they're, they're so excited, they're so pumped about Jesus that they're singing his praises, right? They're so pumped about him. You know, you ever be real, have you ever been, like, really excited for somebody? Maybe, maybe there's, like, a YouTube video that you thought was hilarious and you wanted to show it to your friends. That is the most terrifying thing 
to do because you're like, man, I hope they find this funny too. This is really funny, guys. This is really funny. That's what you keep saying. <laughs> it gets better. It gets better, right? Or, or like a, um, if you vouch for somebody, right? If you say, hey, Sam is a hard worker. Huh. Sam is a, a good preacher, right? And Sam gets up there and totally blows it. Then you're like, what's going on? So the disciples, they're bringing in this king, and they're saying, Hosanna, in the name of... Um, the, the king is coming in the name of the Lord. This is the king, and everybody's pumped about the, few, the, the salvation from oppression, and all of a sudden, Jesus bursts into tears. And the disciples are like, uh, are these tears of joy? <laughs> uh, what's going... He's, he's, he's just weeping. He's weeping because he sees the end. He's weeping because he knows that the, the hosannas are coming from hearts that don't actually see him as their king. That don't see him as the king that they need. But see them as the king that they're hoping for. And friends, in our pain, we can often long that Christ would be the king that just we, takes care of it. The king, that, the king that is just going to polish it away. Right? And the disciples are so confused. Jesus, why are you crying? This is, a, this is a great moment. Well, he tells them why he's crying. Because this is what he sees as he approaches the walls. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side and then it gets more gory. But... All because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. She didn't see it, guys. She didn't see it. Right? That's why Jesus weeps. That's why he's broken down at the gate. He just can't, he can't take the pain. It hurts too much for him to hold it inside and just wails. Here are all of these people who love him as the humble king and as the strong, powerful king, they're like, yeah, you're the man. Go kick those Romans out. And Jesus says, no, I'm coming for your heart. I'm coming to make true peace. I'm coming to solve the pain. I'm coming to, to bring oppression to an end. I'm ushering in a new kingdom and you got to see it. you got to come join it. And he cries because he knows many won't. And, and that brings a certain amount of conviction to my heart, guys. Um, here's this, uh, a story that I'm not proud of. There was a time when in Venice, Florida, there, if you weren't in the woods crawling through palmettos, you were at the movie theaters because that was the only other thing to do after the sun went down. And I was at the movie theater and um, I was hanging out with some friends and there was a girl there and she saw one of her friends and just started screaming and ran up and gave her a hug. And I'm a cynical jerk. So I looked at her and I said, is she okay? Is your friend okay? And she called me a name, which was appropriate for what I was doing. I, I won't say it here. Um, but I deserved it. 
I was being a, I was being a jerk to her. And I looked at her and I said, you can't say that to me, I'm a Christian. And then she just was like, what, what you? she gave me this look of just perplexity and turned away. And I turned to my friends looking for some, for some support and I said, it's okay guys, we know where she's going. And my friends, there is nothing more inappropriate than to hold someone's First of all, she may have been a Christian. Second of all, her story has long to be done. Third of all, I never have the right, and we never have the right, to look at someone's pain or someone's future pain and make fun of it. That's disgusting. Right? It's not right. And Jesus gives us an example of what our response to people's pain should be. Our response to punishment, which she, prob- she may never re- receive, what our response to punishment should be, it's not gloating. It's not, oh, you're sad. <laughs> Jesus wails. Jesus wails for the lost. Oh, brothers and sisters, this should be our response to the lost. That we would wail. Christ has one more important thing to say to us in this passage. Um, how is he going to solve the problem? How is he going to bring the peace that he says they missed? Because he's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's bringing a peace that they don't see at the moment, but it's going to be so much more real and so much more important than they could ever imagine. That's the peace he's going to do. All right. So the cult has never been ridden before in its life. That's back from verse, oh, I think it's 28. No, uh, 30. Something like that. The cult has never been ridden. (laughs) That's the focus. Any other occasion where an animal has not ever been ridden and is put into service, that animal ends up being sacrificed. There are a couple of oxen who have never been yoked that bring the Ark of the Covenant, the very a visual of God into the city. And once they bring them in, they take the two oxen and they, they slaughter them. And there's one more that's slipping my mind at the time. But the animals that have never been yoked, they're sacrificed. As Jesus is approaching the, the, the end of his journey in Jerusalem, he's not going to sacrifice the donkey. He is the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice for our sins. His body will bring us the peace that we need. The, the friends have got it right. The disciples who are rejoicing, they got it right. Jesus is bringing the peace. They just, they flipped. They flipped the eventual peace of Christ's rule that would come after Christ died. First, Jesus is saying, you need peace with God. You need peace from sin. And I'm going to bring it. And I weep for you when you don't see it. But I'm coming with love anyways. 
right? None of the, not even the disciples, friends, they all had the wrong picture of Jesus. They all did. This entire city all thought that Jesus was going to kick out and boot the Romans, right? I think oftentimes we have the wrong picture of Jesus. We have the wrong picture of what he's here to do, what he's going to do for us. And the truth of the matter is, my friends, that Jesus is solving a much bigger problem than you can imagine. A much bigger problem than what we know. And he's going to do it by his own death on the cross, which he rides into Jerusalem to face. And he's been facing it for ten chapters now. In chapter nine, he turns to Jerusalem and says, this is where I'm going. It's time to go to Jerusalem. And on the, on the gates he weeps for those who don't see. And on the inside, he's betrayed by his own disciples, abandoned by those who claim to have loved him. This crowd turns from woohoo to jeers and ridicule and crucify him. And on the cross he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he even uses their own hate to bring life. For it's through a misinterpretation of what Jesus was to be that the king who weeps comes and dies so that we may be free. Friends, the three things, the three things that Jesus reveals to us is first, well, it's not just three, but there are many things. First, that he's the king of creation, that he's the all-powerful one. Second, that he's the humble king of creation who comes in with love, who heals those who have nothing to pay for it, who heals those who don't even know they need it. And finally, he is the king who weeps over the fallen and is, faces the enemy, faces sin, and dies on the cross for you out of love for you, out of love for me. This is the Savior we serve. This is the King we hail as He comes in. We don't have to have all the answers, but He has them, and He's died for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are the mighty King of creation, the Lion, and You're the sacrifice Lamb that died for our sins. We thank You for Your weeping over, your pe- over the lost, and Your weeping over Your own. And we thank you for the peace that you bring, the peace that you usher in. Father, help us to follow you. Help us not to miss our visitation, but help us to love you. In your name I pray. Amen.